from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. It's time for Laugh Box, my favorite time of the week, and perhaps yours too. It is the middle of March 2019, and this is the last episode where I will mention our upcoming conference. What conference? Well, the AATH conference, of course. You can get details at aath.org. It is the 4th through the 7th of April, 2019, just outside Chicago. So I'm going to tell you, you're not going to want to miss our speakers. You're not going to want to miss the camaraderie with these great people. It's just fundamentally my favorite conference of the year, and I go to a lot of conferences. So make sure that you get signed up. It's not too late. This week, we are talking about your brain and humor with Ann Betts. I know you're going to get a lot from our conversation, so I want you to kick back, get a pad of paper and a pencil, and enjoy. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, man, super awesome day. I get to talk to somebody I've had on my calendar for a while. We've been trying to get this uh, scheduled. We finally, today is the day. God has smiled upon us. She's super smart. She's like a coach's coach because she talks to coaches, but she also talks to leaders. She also knows all about neuroscience. So I'm like super thrilled to be in learn mode today. So I'm welcoming Ann Betts to the podcast. Welcome, my friend. Thanks, Chip. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about uh, to talk about why humor is so important. Me too. I mean, you know, inherently we know it is. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. So. So um, for our listeners, if you could give um, a little background on who this person, Ann Betts, is. Yeah, I'm trying to think of sort of a, a bit of a bottom line. Um, I'm a coach. I've been a coach for 20 years and, mm. and used to teach coaching for the Coaches Training Institute. I'm kind of deep in that world and have been fascinated, I think, since I was a teenager with why do people do the stuff they do? Mm-hmm. Um, probably, probably a lot of us are. You know, particularly, why do they do some of the really jerky things they do? Right. And so that kind of has led me to this this question of what is it, what is consciousness and what is human consciousness? And so that's my area of fascination. And about eight or 10 years ago, I started looking at, are there some scientific ways that we can think about this? Is the brain different at different levels of consciousness? And, and there seems to be a lot of indication that it probably is and that our, you know, our relationship with what our body is telling us and all sorts of these things change as we change in levels of awareness. So that's my fascination. I think humor is critical to that process. So this is just a really sweet intersection for me today. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it and uh, about some of the other topics. When I was going through your blog and go through your website, and I was like, man, this is, I mean, so many cool things on there. But before we get into it, I'm just going to ask you a random question just to get our conversation going. So, Ann Betts, if you could go back in time in the Wayback Machine to any year in your life and change something, what year would you go back to and what would you change? Wow. 
That's a, um, wow. Um, (laughs) I, I sort of want to answer it on two levels. I think I would go back to my, um, early twenties when I was sort of in and out of, um, I couldn't kind of stick with college very well. Um, and I, and I, so don't know what year that would be, maybe like 21. And I think I would get some support and I think I would talk to somebody and basically get a a coach or someone like that and say, you know, I want to do this. I think I have a lot of intellectual, uh, you know, ability mm-hmm. and I want some help in following through because I'm not good at that. And that, you know, uh, because that's my joy spot is really being in intellectual discovery. And I wandered around for the, like the between 20 and 30 until I was able to focus more. So I think that's what I do. But the second level is of that answer. And I don't mean to, you know, be pat is kind of like, you know, but there was a lot of really interesting, you know, learning that happened in that time too. So, you know, would I change it? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good, well, I just always look at it say it's one of those things where like, if I go back, I would definitely go back to my twenties. Um, yeah. I didn't like, I, I didn't wake up every morning. Like somebody, I you know, feel like somebody beat me with a stick. Um, Cause that's <laughs> most mornings, you know, I look yeah. at my wife, I'm like, did you hit me while I was sleeping? Cause yeah. honestly, God, my whole body hurts. Um, yeah. But I don't know if I would, I, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I really changed anything. Cause everything kind of has led me to where I'm at now. And I'm pretty yeah. good. With, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with that. So, yeah, I All think right. that's the thing. You don't know if you would have gotten here if you had changed that. So you just, yeah, you don't know. But then again, you wouldn't know if you were someplace else. See, so who knows? That'd be fine too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm really excited to talk about you know this this um, the research that you've been doing and like this the sweet spot intersection for you. And I know you're going to be presenting on the, at the conference, and I don't want to you know give away too much. But if we could just talk a little bit about you know some of the things that. Um, have come about as you've delved a little bit deeper into the humor world. Yeah, absolutely. And I really tried to pull some stuff out today that's not going to be exactly what I'm talking about at the conference. And um, just a little teaser about the conference. What I really want to look at at the conference is um, humor at different levels of awareness. And what is the, you know, what is that humor that is destructive and why is that according to what, how, what it does in the brain and what is that humor that is healing and why is that? So we're going to be going on kind of this journey from, you know, all through the levels of, of human awareness, but I'm not doing that today. So you have to come to the conference. There you go. That's a teaser. Hello. Nice. Like it. Well, you know, there's so it's I love what you said in the intro, which is that we we just know that humor is important and that all societies, I think all societies laugh and have humor and, you know, human beings do that. Um, so we know that we do this. We know that it makes it, us feel good. You know, well, what is it actually? And I, I kind of looked at some big, some like really big critical things. And one of the main ones, so I've got five just because it gives me a structure and maybe we'll get to all five or not. Would it be helpful for me to say what they are and then go back and dig deeper? Or should we just wander? Oh, your lady's choice. Okay. Well, maybe it's helpful for people that are listening just to say what they are, and then I'll go a little deeper. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's helpful. Some people like me kind of like to have that, know what to predict. Um, so the, the five kind of things that I came up with, like, why does humor matter in terms of our overall health and well-being, and how does it help us kind of be and become who we're capable of being? So that's how I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I got... 
I got at least five. I'm sure there's like 50 more. So one is that it is a profound way to change our perspective. Mm-hmm. Probably the best way. It disrupts. So that's number one. Number two is that it actually disrupts our good humor, disrupts our ability to predict. And I'll talk about why that is kind of cool and why that matters. It, in many, many ways, humor activates higher thinking. It gets parts of the brain active that we need for health and well being mm-hmm. and also optimal functioning. It's incredibly bonding and it's health promoting. So those are my five kind of cool things that nice. is, they matter. I like them. Yeah. Uh, so can we just roll through and start with like sure. one and some of the stuff on there and we'll just, you know, it, see where the conversation takes us? Absolutely. We may or may not get to all of them, but let's try to get to at least a couple of the, at the beginning. So one of the things that just keeps coming up in the research, and this is also true for any of the audience out there that is a coach or does leadership work, is this thing about humor helps us change perspective. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I know, as a, so as a coach and a coach trainer, one of the earliest things I learned in coaching school is how to help people shift their belief system, their bias, their perspective, how to reframe. I think every coaching school, every leadership training like deals with that. I'm sure you've come across this in in your work. Oh, absolutely. So it's a critical, um, it's a critical part of human development, human awareness. In fact, when I was sort of studying this when I first started studying neuroscience, one of my teachers said, if he could teach every human being one skill for life effectiveness, it would be the ability to take a new perspective. So when we can take a new perspective, one of the things that it does is it literally calms down stress. It calms down the stress chemicals, things like norepinephrine, which is adrenaline in our body, and cortisol, which is a stress marker, shifting the way we look at something just calms that down. And I always love this. Um, I always love this Zen joke. Um, I collect Zen jokes. And one of them is the... the that, sp- is, that is such a funny thing to collect. That's awesome. All right. Well, yeah, of course. So send me your Zen jokes. Absolutely. Well, because, <laughs> because, and we'll talk about this at the conference, it's a, it tends to be, not always, but it tends to be a very high and gentle level of humor mm-hmm. that, that is not unkind. So... So, this, so the perspective joke is the student is standing on one side of this raging river and the master is standing on the other and the student yells to the master, how do I get to the other side? The master looks at the student and says, well, you are on the other side. <laughs> Thank that's you good. for laughing. That's, no, that's good. good. Oh, I like it. I like that. That's awesome. That's good. That's good. That's good. So it's this, like, it's, it's, we cannot always change the river in our lives. In fact, there's a lot of stuff that happens to us sort of that... We can't change that, but we have an enormous creative capacity to change how we look at it. And that will calm down the stress. And when we, when we get stressed, literally what happens is parts of our brain start just becoming louder than other parts is how I think about it. Some people might say it's like the reptilian brain takes over. Mm. The latest research is that we don't really have these three brains that are stacked on top of each other and one, you know, takes over and shuts the other one down. It's much more interconnected than that. But when we're stressed, some of our more survival parts of the brain get really loud. And that's 
partially due to the chemicals that get released under stress. And so it can be harder to see creative solutions and will have a physiological impact from that as well. So if you think about, you know, like if I'm really stressed, my heart will beat, I'll get red, my hands will shake like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, when they first start speaking, right. <laughs> they go through all of that, right? Right. I remember when I first started speaking, I would go up to speak and then I would get done. I would have no recollection of anything that I said at all. Because like my, you know, my, my brain just like, you know, went into like autopilot because all the stress was like mumbling everything up there. And somebody said, oh, that was really good. I'm like, really? What did I say? Yeah. They're saying, can you repeat that? And then you're like, no. No, I have no idea what I just said. Yeah, actually, that's a really great example, Chip, because one of the things that happens when we're under a great deal of stress is that it impairs our ability to, re to actually retrieve memories or encode new, new memories, make memories mm -hmm. or retrieve memories. So it's also really? that. Yeah. That's interesting because like, I always thought that like, um, you remember things better if it was tied to some kind of emotion and that even though like stress is, is bad, that it would still maybe solidify it more in your head than if it was just, it, just there. So that's, that's, and that's an interesting thing to hear. Well, it's, it's, I love that because it's, it's layered. So okay. it, if you are like trauma, like, like memory from trauma, mm -hmm. depending on the, and it all kind of just depends on the level and the chemical cocktail that has gotten activated. But I, there is something, and I think what you're talking about, I call it the hot stove effect mm -hmm. and it is designed to keep us safe. And so if you touch a hot stove, you will get, you know, burned and you'll get this, you'll get a tremendous amount, excuse me, of adrenaline. And that will, you will remember don't touch stove, but you may not remember what anybody said to you right mm -hmm. then. You may not remember more complex or sophisticated things. What you remember is what you need to remember for survival. Okay. Okay. All right. Gotcha. I think that's pretty much how it goes. Mm -hmm. But I think about, um, you know, I used to watch Jeopardy with my son mm -hmm. and he was much better at this than I was. And, you know, we'd be sitting home watching Jeopardy and we'd like have all of the questions. But if I actually had to go do go, we would go out to do like these quiz things at a bar. I couldn't think of anything. And then I'd go home and be like, oh, that's what that was. Because of the stress and the pressure, just like I couldn't remember. Mm -hmm. So there's, I think there's that, you know, one of my examples for that one. Now, so how does yeah, humor like sh help shift that, that perspective then? I mean, it, it like, if that's the, the key goal there, the number one is, you know, so what happens in the brain when you yeah, employ that? It, it gives us some distance between our situation and reaction. So there's sort of, there's, first of all, just any way that you can shift perspective. You know, I remember um, uh, one time I was in San Francisco and I got a parking ticket um, and I, and I looked and I was really like, it was really expensive. And it was a time in my life. I couldn't afford that. And I remember getting super flushed. And then I looked over and, and I, and I was just like, felt stupid and the whole deal. I looked over and I realized I had parked in front of somebody's driveway. And because I didn't see on the sign that it said no parking, couldn't figure out why I'd gotten it. And in that moment I thought, oh my God, thank gosh, I think I did, my car didn't get towed. Mm -hmm. That and that wasn't a humorous one, but that of that just looking at it in a different way, I could immediately feel the beginning of calming down. Right. So then, so so some of what happens is when we get stressed, 
sort of the survival parts of our brains start playing louder. And when we can shift the perspective, some of the more thoughtful parts of our brain, it's like that, that music starts playing louder. And so like, Oh, okay. okay. And then we release some, uh, some there's a particular neurotransmitter called GABA, which is an inhibitory one, and it kind of calms down all the adrenaline and cortisol. And just shifting a perspective will do that. Well, we know that when we can laugh at things, we have we actually can get all of these other chemicals as well. So just the, so there's sort of two layers. Oh goodness, thank God it was just the you know driveway. Okay. Um, then a friend told me the story about how her daughter. Um, was just this beautiful little girl and she's like three years old she has these long curls and the brother cuts all of the girl's curls off <laughs> the, girl, the little girl yeah the little girl comes into the the room and the mom says oh my god he cut your you you lost your princess curls and she's she said you know i was really attached to you know her hair mm-hmm. anyway and the little girl just looked at her and said mommy i'm still a princess uh-huh. in that moment you know, she could laugh at it. Right. And she, I don't know why. I just thought that was so funny that she was so earnest about, I'm still a princess. And it gave her this distance. And we know that laughter can actually then um, give us some other chemicals like dopamine. And I'll talk more about that later. And that's kind of a reward chemical. Oxytocin, which is bonding. Mm-hmm. Serotonin, which is linked to mood. And endorphins, which all are these, you know, this more happiness thing. So not only do you have the calming down effect of saying, what's the new perspective? You also have the boosting effect of these chemicals that make you happy. So I think that's why shifting perspectives using humor can be so, so powerful. Right. And sometimes it's like, you know, like Mark Twain said, you know, uh, humor is tragedy plus time. And that uh, humor is sometimes humor is got to, you know, when we employ humor in that moment, it kind of uh, speeds up that time in our head, I would think, you know, where, you know, we can get a, a little bit different perspective. Yeah. And you know what? I love that tragedy plus time. I have to keep remembering that because, um, you know, I think about, I now think that that thing in San Francisco with the driveway is really funny. (laughs) It's funny that I was, you know, so stupid that I pulled in front of somebody's driveway. But at the time, of course it didn't. It felt like, you know, this is a hundred dollars I don't have. So I, I just love that tragedy plus time. And this gives us, it's, it maybe speeds us up. It also gives us this distant, it makes it more, palatable. Right. And I'm thinking about, you know, and I I don't have any examples and I don't know if you do about, there are comedians who this is their specialty is, oh, I think about, um, oh gosh, who is the comedian? He's really flat affect. Um, Stephen Wright? Yeah, Stephen Wright. And he says, you know, and I can't do him, but he basically says, I have a huge seashell collection. I keep it on beaches all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, that immediately that's like you're shifting your view. Okay, you've got the sea- seashell co- collection. Oh, but it's on these beaches. So you're looking at it in a new way. And that kind of leads me to my kind of my second point, which is that humor is disruptive. Um, it disrupts it and that it's kind of tied to the prediction. Mm-hmm. So should we, is it good? Should I go there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we are constantly 
um, and I've just been learning more about this recently, that we basically, we are in prediction mode kind of 24 seven, unless we're really focused on the task that we're doing. Mm-hmm. We are, our brains are actually toggling. They're doing mental time travel. It's called they're toggling between the, they're looking to the future based on the past. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what can I predict based on the context that I have? So, um, if I say to you, uh, this is an example from uh, some of the one of the women that's doing this research. She says she had this. She has this great little thing. So, um, once upon a time, in a magical kingdom far beyond the most distant mountains, there lived a beautiful princess who bled to death. <laughs> Sorry, it's a little dark. <laughs> no, I, I I I started laughing because I wasn't expecting that at all. I was, yeah. yeah, that was say awesome. More. Say more about that. Why did you laugh? Oh, uh, because it uh, was the unexpected. I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't expecting that she would just be dead. But uh, <laughs> right. that's a, right. it's a great story, and it's it's it catches my attention because I have a short attention span. See, so if it had been longer, I might not have. So yeah, and I'm sort of giving you that little bit of that fairy tale voice, and so what's happening is your brain is predicting you know, something about a prince or a quest or or a dragon and you're ready, Mm. you're already there. Mm. You're already out ahead of me in the story. And that's just normal. That's what we do. Um, It's why we like familiar songs and all of that. We're just ready. We're already there. Our brain is going ahead. Mm. And so then when I shift it there and give you something totally unexpected, it jolts you, it gets your attention and it actually (laughs) chemically releases some dopamine. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. You, you know, your story kind of reminded me, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Holes, um, but oh, yeah. in that movie, yeah. you know, when, you know, they're all in this camp, it's all really dry. And uh, who is the, uh, the, I'm trying to think of his, uh, John Voight played, you know, like the character, you know, the, the guy that was in charge of all the young men. And oh, everybody, yeah, the guard everybody, guy. everybody was like, you know, whining because it was so hot. And he was like, well, I'm going to tell you a little story, boys. Once upon a time, there was a land where it never rained. The end. And I just like, I was like, oh, the only person in the entire, in the entire thing, just like, I was laughing my ass off because it was just, right. it was just so funny. Cause I was like, once upon a time. And then I was waiting for something else at the end. And yes. That was it. Yeah. And what's interesting is you remember that. Yep. So, and part of what is happening is dopamine is a really, really interesting chemical and it, it definitely makes us feel good. It's, it's, it's very much part of the reward system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it's really doing, as I understand it, is it's cueing us in terms of what we should pay attention to. So if I say to you, for example, you know, we really should, you know, Chip, you and I, we've got this, this challenge to face. We really should think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And you kind of you know, nod your head. But if I say to you, okay, Chip, here's this challenge that we're looking at. What if we thought about it in terms of a mouse battling an elephant? And we'll be right back with Anne to talk about the, uh, the mouse and the elephant. But now it's time for fun facts. Fun facts is where I share facts about humor, laughter, whatever I feel like it. And this week, I feel like talking about the brain, some brain facts. And this comes from Healthline.com. 
And this, this is a fact, cholesterol is the key to learning and memory. However, high cholesterol has different effects depending on your age and other factors. So this is one case in your life where you can live better with butter. So you got a fun fact you want to share? Email me at Chip Unconventional Leader. I would love to share it on the show. Now let's get back to Anne, the mouse, and the elephant. So what was the difference in your brain in those two different things? Um, one that, uh, in my head, cause I think in pictures, I got a picture of a really boring box. The other one, I had a very like funny image of a mouse actually in battle gear, ready to fight an elephant. So to me, my, my brain was already kind of like, um, thinking of something funnier than just a boring box. Yeah. And I'm, I'm impressed that you even thought of a box because that's just such a cliche at mm-hmm. this point. You know, I always wonder, like the very first time somebody said, think outside the box, did everybody go, oh, you know, did it kind of like light up their brains because that was so novel? (laughs) Yeah, Um, probably. Probably like the first time you ever ate ice cream, you're like, what is this fantastic thing? (laughs) What is this? And then later on, you're like, ah, it's just ice cream. Right, exactly. I actually remember feeding ice cream to my son who's 22 now, and he was like, had this really disgusted look on his face. (laughs) Like, what? So it was like when my daughter, uh, because when she was little, you know, we, 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 my uh, ex wife and I, we both work. So it's like, you know, whatever we, you know, eating on the road, whatever. So she was only used to like eating a cold hot dog. So we, I remember one time at the swim pool, she had a cook hot dog and she took a bite of it and she looked at us like, is this what this is supposed to taste like? <laughs> what the hell? What have I been eating that other crap for? It was just really funny. So I understand. I understand that. I understand that. Compl- I understand that. Look, I understand it. You have, you have fooled me. You yeah. will not fool me again. Yeah. yeah. And so what the brain is doing is it's sort of marking it. It's unexpected. It's unpredictable. And it's sort of like the Stephen Wright thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, you're going along and you're thinking he's going to talk about, you know, the seashell collection on his dresser. And instead it's on these beaches all over the world. And all of a sudden it becomes memorable. It becomes interesting. Your brain, um, probably if we had you in a brain scanner, your brain would have more activity because there's something that got disrupted there. Right. And so I think that in terms of, Um, As we go through life, you know, kind of just doing the same thing over and over again, going through our routine, I love that humor is disruptive and can stop us and make us, um, make our brains actually start working, which is, feels to me really important in this day and age. Right. Well, because it seems, well, like I'm, I don't know much about brains as you do, but like, you know graduating high school, like K through 12 takes forever. Right. And then after that, you know, it just like, I just had my 30 year reunion a couple of years ago. And it's like that, that 30 years went by like so right. fast. Right. And, you know, and then, you know, I was doing some reading. It was like how, you know, your brain just like streamlines things and quits paying attention to other things. Like when you're young, it's taking all this new stuff in. So, you know, time is time. It's finite. So what I hear you saying is by employing humor and activating your brain, we might be able to slow down time. Oh, that is so cool. I love that. It's um, Somebody explained this sort of like, and I'm not, maybe you know more about technology because this was a technology example, but I thought it was really memorable. Um, that when you're watching a YouTube video or a Netflix video, each new millisecond of the video, they don't reload the whole thing. 
what happens is they only, what happens techno technologically, I think, if I understand this right, is that, the, that you only reload what changes. So you're constantly just, that's how you can stream all of this stuff. And it looks like, you know, you're getting, you know, each like a brand new frame each time, but what you're actually just getting is the changes. Hmm. And your brain, this really goes to what you were saying that your brain is, is like that, that it's sort of just noticing the changes because our brains would explode if we had to reload everything. Like if you even just look around your room right now and anybody who's listening to this, if you look around your room, there is so much data and detail. And your brain is just letting that huge amounts of it go. You know, you're not paying attention to the picture on the wall unless it falls off. Right. Because that's new. That's different. That's important. Um, but if not, you're just going to, it's just going to go into the background because that's how you survive. So you can use your brain for things you need. Right. Which are the differences and the changes. And I think what you're saying is as we get older, you know, there's so much that's already loaded that it speeds up time. Right. Yeah. So just was an interesting, when I heard you say that, it just made me think it's like, Hmm, maybe I can, I can <laughs> delay the aging process just by employing humor. I mean, time is time. I'm still going to age. I just, I just want it to go longer. It's all. I yeah, want well, it to feel longer. That's it. I just want it to feel I, longer. I, well, this is why if you think about, if you go on vacation, you go someone somewhere new, mm -hmm. or you do something that's really new and different or even if you're learning a different thing or preparing a different speech, time slows down. Yes. Because it's not preloaded. I never really thought about that. I think that's really, really cool. So I'm, not saying it's, I'm not saying it's true. I just went, that's what I heard when I, that's how I was putting things together when you were, you were speaking. So. No, I think it is. It's because it's, it's, we get these markers of novelty that, um, that we pay attention to rather than just going through life and not paying any attention. And I think this is all, you know, it's like why people love to be made to laugh mm -hmm. because they're, they're present with it. They're marking it. Their brains are saying, wow, listen to that. You know, and this is why speakers who don't use any stories or examples or jokes make you want to kill yourself. It's like, it's like getting gutted with a butter, butter knife. It's just very, <laughs> Very long and painful. Oh, God, I love that. Or if they have a really, really flat affect. Unless they're doing it like Stephen Wright and they're doing it masterfully. But if you just get in, this is why, you know, I, I, I say in my talk, I'm going to do the, the humor of, of science. And there is not nearly enough humor in science because they, the scientists tend to take themselves very, very seriously. And it's right. almost like, you know, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever tried to read like a hardcore research report talk about being gutted with a butter knife yes um, it's almost like it's intentionally uh, difficult to understand so they can protect that this is only the realm of the exalted few yeah the, um, the two the two areas that you know, if science is that way and so is religion both both uh, are very you know, same way like if you read any you know um you know books on theology they're all just completely completely exempt of any humor yes yeah Whereas if you think about, it, I mean, this is why I like the, you know, the Zen, the Zen, the Zen jokes, because it's kind of, you know, let's not take this all so seriously. Right. And it gives you kind of, it gives you access into, into that, 
you know, into a different way of thinking about something in this kind of gentle way. Like, oh, how do I get to the other side? You are on the other side. Oh yeah, I guess it's just, it's all depends on how you look at it. You know, I love that. I love that. So um, are we good to move on to the yeah, third yeah, number point? Three. All right, beautiful. So I really think, you know, in sort of in many ways, humor really act, can. It has the potential to activate really higher thinking and get the brain making all sorts of interesting connections, which is really, really healthy. And you want to talk about slowing down time. One of the things that I want for my life is I want to keep my brain as capable as possible till the end of my life. So we're talking about, there's a, a, an aspect of neuroscience that's becoming, people are, there's much more common understanding of it called neuroplasticity. Have you mm -hmm. heard of this? Yes. So the, yeah, awesome. Um, the ability of the brain to make new connections and change and all of that. And I think humor helps us do that and helps us um, continue to make, to continue to get various parts of the brain sort of talking to each other. Um, unless it's humor, like at someone else's expense. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit when I talk about humor and being bonding. But I have this, I saw this thing on, um, somebody posted this on Facebook and I love this. Uh, uh, it was a quote from a four-year-old and she said, I know what drawing is. You have a thought and put a line around your think. <laughs> so, so, so I just love that. Mm -hmm. So that's like, Wow. And I noticed I'm thinking like I never thought of it that way. Right. I know what drawing is. You have a you have a thought and you put a line around. Like that's so cool. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is sort of what they found with the sort of comedians who tend to test as the funniest tend to have kind of what I would call sort of the loosest brains. What does that? What do you mean? <laughs> what do I mean by that? Right. So we can think of the brain in terms of, um, in neuroscience, they talk about bottom up or top down. So top down control is basically saying there are parts of our brain that we're more aware of and we're more conscious of using. And, you know, when I say I need to think about that, they're more sort of active processing. And then there are parts of our brain that are a little more automatic, um, and there's a couple, there's two different brain networks. And one of them is this task network where if I need to do a spreadsheet or I need to do my taxes this weekend, I'm going to be using the task network. I'm going to be thinking about how do I, you know, what do I need to put in what column in my spreadsheet and where are all, where's all my re records and how much did I donate and all of that. Very much the task network. Mm -hmm. And that's very top down. That's like I need to focus and control. And then there's this bottom-up processing, and some of that is something called the default mode network. And you can think of that as just when your mind wanders. And when our minds wander, they can make all sorts of amazing connections that we can't make when we're in that sort of doing our taxes mode. Right. That makes complete sense to me. Because I know when I'm focusing on something really hard, sometimes um, the solution, I mean, creative solutions will elude me. Yes. Uh, but if I just like, I've been trying like in case in point, I've been trying to, I have a keynote I have to do. I've been thinking about like how to put it together. I was really stressing myself out on, you know, how I was going to format it. And then on my way to the gym, you know, I wasn't thinking about it all. And it just came to me. 
Yeah. And, and so it just, you know, it wasn't humorous. It just, you know, it's one of those things where when I, it just, with my brain wandering, that's when it just, you know, I guess it was still working on it underneath yes. the layers of my brain. And then it just, it just happened. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect, perfect example, Chip. And I think that that has um, probably happened to everybody who's listening. Like you get that idea in the shower or mm-hmm. while you're driving or, you know, some other time when you're not focused on it. I, actually call this putting the wizards to work. Oops, I'm so sorry. Um, I call putting the wizards to work and I will tell my clients, you basically have two teams in your brain. It's very oversimplified, but you have this team that's like your engineers and they're really good for doing taxes and things like that. And Mm -hmm. sometimes during a keynote, you figure out like, okay, five minutes here and what are the slides? And you know, you need the task mode, but then they're not particularly creative. They're not good at that. And they won't think of the mouse battling the elephant kind of solutions. Right. Um, so what, what you can do is you have this other team and they're a team of wizards and they live deep underground. And if you boss them around, they'll quit because <laughs> they're wizards and they don't want to be told what to do. But you can kind of like slip, a, slip something under the door and be like, hey, can you give me a really cool idea for this keynote? And just slip it under the door and then go away. Because mm-hmm. if you look at them and try to make them work, they'll stop. So, so this humor activates that, that ability to wander. So your brain works on it. Is that what you're kind of saying? Well, that's interesting. I have to think about that. Um, What, what I found in the research is that there seems to be a correlation between the funniest people have a really strong ability to let their mind wander and let go of that control. Okay. All right. I mean, that, and that makes sense to me as well. I mean, like before I uh, joined the Navy, um, my brain wandered all the time, but 22 years in, I got stuck in a, you know, I don't want to say a really strict um, format of how to do things, but like when I retired, I spent a year down at Second City going through their entire improv um, course to kind of like unprogram me in a way. And, you know, it really helped me, uh, help me be a little freer in my thought patterns on things. That is cool. I love that example because anybody who's ever done improv, you know that if you get too like fancy pants out ahead thinking about it, mm-hmm. you will ruin the scene. That's the truth. You can't you can't overthink things. <laughs> do you so. know that? Do you remember um, in the in the office and Michael is going to improv class? Do you, do you remember those? Did you ever see those? Yes. Yes. And everything, he's got a gun. Like It doesn't yeah. matter if they're on a bus, at the beach, you know, he's just, he has his, he's already planned it. He's already decided. He's not in that mind wandering place where he can actually just go with what's happening. That is and- quite possibly the best show ever made. <laughs> and my wife would say, I, I said, it's like, and it's on all the time on Comedy Central. My wife is like, have you seen all these episodes? I'm like, yes, I have. She goes, why are, you, why are you watching again? Because it's funny. And I always see something that I didn't see before. So, yeah. yeah There's a real com- complexity. I was also thinking of this example. I don't know if you ever, years and years ago, I don't, you know, these are old, old, like from the 50s. Art Linkletter did this show, Kids Say the Darndest Things. Mm-hmm. And these little kids would come on and I should get some of these old clips because they were hilarious because they were completely unselfconscious. And their minds were just doing that little kid wandering all over and making stuff up. And they're trying to make meaning of the world, but they don't have a lot of context for it. Like we do, you know, we're talking about everything that the brain is sort of already locked in. Right. They're saying these hilarious things. 
So then years later, maybe in the like 90s, I don't remember when it was, they decided to bring that show back. But what they did is they they would bring on these kids that were sort of obviously like, you know, stage kids. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they weren't unselfconscious. They were very aware of how to get a laugh. And it wasn't funny. Right. Yeah. The kids do say the darndest things. Like my grand, my granddaughter was over not too long ago. She's like, uh, yeah, I said, do you want, you want some juice, sweetheart? She goes, yeah, Papa, juice is my beer. <laughs> and, and I was like, I, you know, she didn't get that from me because I'm a vodka drinker. So that's strictly from her mother right there. I love that. Juice but, is uh, my beer. Juice yeah. is my beer. Yep. That is so. just great. Yeah, it's like this free association thing mm-hmm. that – And I think when you were saying, does humor help us activate that? That's a really good question. I'd have to think about that more. But it does help us kind of um, open up to these more complex connections. And if you think about, you know, the whole idea of of, um, like the archetype of the court jester. Mm -hmm. The jester was the one, um, a friend of mine was in the circus and he was, he really was into this. and he talked about, because he kind of studied this, because that's what sort of his role in the circus and the clowns in the circus. And he said that the historic role of the jester is they were the one who could speak truth to power and not be killed. Right. So there's something about that. And I think about, you know, Lenny Bruce and George Carlin and the, this, this way of making truth these complex connections, and this goes back to, I think, both the changing perspective as well as the unexpected, and they used all of this and then made these, they were able to make these really complex connections between things that were both funny, but also made you go, ah, that's what's happening. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes absolute sense. Just when when you were explaining that, I was thinking about the wizards that you talked about and that, you know, like if you tell them what to do, they're not going to do it. But if you tell them a joke, they're more going to be more inclined to, um, you know, help you out. But um, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Hey, I want to say one other thing about the wizards, which is that this part of our brain is also the part that ruminates. And we'll, and so I always think about these wizards are, they're also a little bit like if you've ever had a new puppy and if you don't give them a chew toy, they'll chew your shoes or your, you know, jacket or whatever. And so I also think we have to be aware that this mind wandering part of our brain, if we don't give it something to kind of work on, it will kind of go to this. It goes, this is also the part of our brain that goes forward and back and it will find a way to worry about the future or regret the past. Right. So there's something in that as, as well that I just wanted to let people know. It's, sometimes it's really helpful to let your mind wander and put those wizards to work, but they can also take us to a very dark place. Right. And see, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm actually giving, giving up worrying for Lent. Um, so yeah, I I was like, you know, I could give up vodka, but that would be too painful. But I was like, (laughs) no, maybe, maybe I'll just give up worrying. Cause I, you know, that's definitely something very, you know, I, those wizards work hard in my brain on worrying, Yeah, um, you know, things. So that's, that's good. All right, cool. So we'll make sure we get into the whole, the the bonding section. Um, yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, people know this and they know it intuitively and we feel it and you probably various YouTube videos of somebody who just starts laughing like on a subway car and nobody knows what they're laughing at and pretty soon everybody's everybody's laughing. Right. So there's a way that it is absolutely, we are very 
contagious. We're all of our emotions are actually contagious to each other. Mm-hmm. We're you know if you're around someone who's very depressed, you will you will take that on. And part of what is happening, um, the the exact mechanism, it may be have something to do with mirror neurons. It certainly has something to do with the chemical state that the person is in, which we detect through smell and also through subtle movements. So there's all sorts of ways that we're getting information about how is this person that I'm with feeling? And some of it is we're aware of, we might look at their face and assume they're happy or sad, but some of it is below our conscious awareness. Like you might be with somebody who's really stressed out and literally you're smelling their stress without being able to consciously be aware you're smelling anything. And your body will replicate that because we're social creatures. That's so funny. And we want- You smell of stress and despair. Let's go ahead. I was like, it'd be just kind of funny if you told somebody, you smell of stress and despair. <laughs> well, you know, they say dogs can smell fear and apparently we can smell it too. And the, it's one of my, I, I just love this study because I just can try to imagine setting it up. But they had people do um, both be on a treadmill and then they, they had them wear like a white t-shirt and they'd go on a treadmill and sweat. And then they took the t-shirt away and they neutralized the odor somehow. And then they had people do public speaking because for most people, public speaking is the most stressful possible thing that you can possibly do. And Woody Allen has a great line that I always butcher, but it's something like most people would rather speak at their, would, most people are more afraid of speaking at their funeral than having one, having their own, something like that. Um, So they had people do public speaking and in, again, in a white t-shirt, they took the t-shirts away and they neutralized the odors. So you couldn't actually, they didn't smell bad apparently, mm-hmm. brought in volunteers. And this is, I always think it's so funny. It's like, what did you do today, honey? Well, I smelled sweaty t-shirts for science. <laughs> so. Okay. And then they tested the volunteers cortisol, which is a pretty good marker of how stressed you feel. So here you are, you're smelling, Chip, you're smelling these t-shirts. The one on the treadmill, we tested who did had exercise sweat. But if you smell the sweat of somebody who was who was stressed, your cortisol will go up. Really? Yep. That is fascinating. Yep. It's really fascinating. It's been replicated. That one's a pretty well replicated test. Wow. So and various, various things. So interesting. So we have this way of yeah, so we have this way of detecting. And I think that's also part of what is happening when somebody starts laughing or feeling good. I, so one of the articles I was reading said it's, um, it's this endorphin release and it's like endorphin dominoes. And maybe you've seen like laughter yoga. I did this once. Yeah. If somebody just put us into this thing of laughter yoga and it was impossible not to laugh you know, at nothing. Yeah, we have a lot of people within the association that uh, are laughter yoga leaders and, you know, do that. And it's, a, it's yeah, people will, you know, start doing it. And then pretty soon they, um, it's real mirthful laughter that they're sharing with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said that it's like a workout for your internal organs too. It's so, you get such a positive boost from that. And 
um, I, yeah, like I'm, I'm ready to start going to do that on a regular basis. And it's awesome. The, there's also um, some evidence that says that when we're laughing with other people, oxytocin is released. Mm-hmm. And oxytocin is another hormone that um, it's kind of, there's a dark side to it. It's sort of interesting. I wanted to talk about this briefly. So oxytocin makes us feel bonded and it gets released through touch, it gets released, um, you know, women release oxytocin giving birth and breastfeeding, and it's part of the bonding process with the baby. It can make a group feel very bonded. But one of the, pro- one of the dark sides of oxytocin is, is that it can also make a group. So you can have this oxytocin relief with release with a group um, and feel more connected to them and less connected to people who you feel are not like you. And so this, I think, is one of the reasons that you get into, and I'm going to talk about this more at the conference, the bullying laughter or the bullying joking mm-hmm. or the you know picking on someone because you're bonding. There's bonding there, but it's in-group bonding. Interesting. That is very interesting. I didn't know there was a dark side to oxytocin. Yeah, that is, definitely. Uh, that's cool. Which is for me, in, when I think about this in terms of consciousness, one of the things that I think about, people who live life at what I would call higher levels of effectiveness, more open, more aware, they don't tend to define their groups so closely. So, you know, in fact, if you talk to probably a lot of people at the conference, you know, they would just say, well, the human, you know, humans are my group. Mm-hmm. I don't care what, you know, where they come from, what color they are, what they believe, humans are my group. But at, as you sort of look at what I would call lower levels of effectiveness, people start saying, well, this is my group and that group is wrong. So I can't associate with that group and I don't like that group. And, you know, I don't trust that group and I don't like this kind of political person or that. So there's more of a, uh, then oxytocin plays out its dark side. If you have someone who believes that the human community is their group, they're not going to want to bond with people against another part of the human community. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. That's interesting. So, and most people at the conference are like that. Humans, Humans are their group. Yeah. yeah. So there's no worries about oxytocin because we're not going to start picking on one group of humans. You know, why would you do that? Right. They're all my people. You are, yeah. you are my tribe. Yeah. My so. first, my first conference in 2006, um, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I can go back to real life after this because real, <laughs> real people aren't this nice. It was, yeah, yeah it was the, the, yeah. Unreal. Uh, the, the level of um, just overall, uh, goodwill and love uh, amongst a group of people that's just it, unlike any conference I, I ever go to I, I any other that I go to if, so that's that is really really cool you know and I think there's an ability with 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 humor and this is one of the things I'm going to talk about at the conference when I look at these different levels that there are people in the world and unfortunately I've encountered some of them um, in close quarters who who they can't they can they can laugh at other people or or things or even funny movies or anything but they can't laugh at themselves right um which is sad because i like if i couldn't laugh at myself i i would i would explode so yeah because i i do some really stupid stuff <laughs> which is funny to me 
not always funny to other people, but some of the things are just hilarious to me. So anyway, well, I tell you what, and I have really enjoyed talking to you. I mean, so much great information. I can't wait to hear your keynote at the conference, um, especially if it's going to be this chock full of you know, great information. If after today, people want to connect with you, where do you want them to go? The best place to go is beaboveleadership.com. And that's my main website. And that's, um, uh, that's where you can find sort of uh, lots and lots of stuff that, that we're doing and that we're up to. I also have a blog, which is yourcoachingbrain.wordpress.com. And there's a lot of stuff in there. It's particularly written for coaches, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of stuff in there about like this default mode network. There's a, a wonderful blog post. <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I liked it. Um, and I'm wearing a little wizard hat. So there's called putting the wizards to work. That's that awesome. is yeah, what we talked about. Well, you got to toot your own horn. I mean, yeah. Yeah, like I write <laughs> well, sometimes, I'll, sometimes I'll write stuff and then later on I'll go back and read it. I'll be like, man, that, that was good. That was yeah. really good. Every time I look at that blog post, I smile because I literally took a selfie wearing a wizard hat. So it makes is, me happy. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Now I'm going to uh, finish up the podcast by asking my fast five questions. Okay. So I'm going to ask questions. You just give me like your first response. All right. So, Great. Anne. Who's your favorite comedian? Uh, uh, Stephen Wright is coming okay. to mind right now. <laughs> All right. Number two, what is your go-to funny movie? Oh, Princess Bride. Oh, interesting choice. It is yeah. a funny movie, but it's got, yeah. yeah, I like that movie. It's good. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Uh, what is your uh, third question? What is your favorite kind of comedy? Um, intelligent comedy. That makes me think. Yeah, I like smart comedy too. Good, yeah. good, good. All right. Number four, you and I are sitting at a bar. What are we drinking? Um, I'm probably having a really nice glass of red wine. I don't know what you're drinking vodka apparently. Yeah. Okay, good. I made that abundantly clear throughout the, throughout the interview. <laughs> nice. All right. Last question, Ann. What's your favorite joke? <laughs> it's a, I, can I tell it? Yes. It's not fast, but my favorite joke. Um, okay, so there's all of these guys in there in prison, and their um, new guy comes into prison, and the new guy comes in, and he's they're sitting around the dining hall, and somebody gets up and he says, 42, and everybody cracks up. And then somebody else gets up and says, all right, 37. Everybody rolls on the floor laughing. And the new guy says to the guy sitting next to you, he says, what's, this going, what's going on? He says, yeah, well, we're all lifers. We've been in here a long time. We've heard everybody's jokes. So we're sort of tired of them, so we just gave them all a number. All right, cool. So a little while later, they're eating dinner, and somebody stands up in the corner, and he says, 13. Nobody laughs. New guy turns to the guy next to him and says, What's that about? Guy says, oh yeah, he can't tell a joke. <laughs> That's awesome. That is, that, that, that is a good joke. That really is Favorite a good joke. Favorite joke of the day. Yeah, that is good. Well, thanks for spending some time with me today. Um, I learned a lot and it was a fascinating conversation. It was really, really fun talking to you. I'm looking forward to meeting at the conference. Same here. What did I tell you? Ann Betts, she is awesome. And she'll be speaking at the conference. And she's not speaking on what we just spoke on. She's on speaking on something completely different. So get registered today. 
you got something you want to hear on the show, got a guest idea, shoot me an email at chip at unconventionalleader.com. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, this is Chip Lutz saying we'll keep the laugh on for you. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit LaughBox.AATH.org.